You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Wednesday, so it's time for Wayne on Wednesday with Wayne McCurry, Portfolio Manager at FNB Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg. Today, Wayne, we talk about our perpetual fascination for inflation because CPI inflation, that's consumer price inflation in South Africa, has come down close to the Reserve Bank's prescribed midpoint which is 3 to 6%. Yes. It's come down to 4.7%. The good thing about that is it's come down and it's boosted bond prices. The bad thing is Correct. it shows a lack of demand. Well, yes. Look, inflation in South Africa, the lack of demand has been around here for a while. So it's the demand side of the inflation, inflation equation has never once caused a problem. Well, not never once because it did actually cause a problem uh, from about 2003 through to 2007, that did. But 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 normally, demand doesn't cause a problem in South Africa. And certainly, over the last couple of years, demand hasn't been an issue. South Africa is almost supply-led, or to put it more correctly, administered, administered or imported pricing. So, in other words. The price of food is the rand times the world food price. The price of oil is the rand times the global oil price. And then you get all these administered costs in South Africa, of which the biggest one is Eskom. But there's many, many others. I mean, Johannesburg's council went through their rates um, what, when they reassess the rates on your, on your building. And they do a new role. That's what's called. They, go, they do a new rates role. Now, they... Did the rates roll? Well, let me tell you the story about this. I got a letter on the 18th of August this year. Yes. Now, there in itself is astonishing. I got a letter delivered to me by, I can only assume the post office because it was a normal letter. Right. Okay, so I got that a couple of days ago. The letter was dated May and it said in there, if I got any objection to the new rating of my property, I've got till the 2nd of June to write to the city council and complain about it. So wait a second, let me just contextualize this. You got a letter that was stamped, sent in May of 2023, mm. and you had till the 2nd of June to raise any objections or whatever it was. Yes. Yeah. And today and is August the, August the 23rd. Yeah, put That's that extraordinary. Let's, just put, let's put that aside. Okay. My rates went up 30%. That's now, an administrative price. That's an price. Now, I know if you go to the city council and object, they'll say, no, 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 we only increased our rates by 6% because that's what the rand per square meter has gone up by. The thing is they revalued my property. Ah. So that's why it's gone up the other 27 or 24, whatever the number is. So they actually talk between their teeth. They say, no, no, we only increased our rand per square meter by seven, but then they just upped everyone's property valuation. So the amount you pay per month has gone up by a lot more than the six or the seven or the five, whatever the standard increase was, a lot more. What was your response to this letter? Well, I haven't got much of a chance there. Now, look, something like that, it's, it's not – I mean, this is on my industrial property in Kaya Sands. Yes. That's not an expensive property to start off with. And the extra rates that I pay per month, which turns out to be a couple of hundred rand, just is not worth the fight. But still, just showing you two things, how efficient our post office is not. And also, 
the effect of inflation or in, of administered prices on inflation. It's huge. In South Africa, it's rates and taxes, lights and water. Mm. You know? And then, of course, as, as I said, all of the import parity priced things, which is basically food and energy. So there's not much left pure demand side. Because even if food is produced in South Africa, it's priced at the imported equivalent price, you know, plus or minus transport, depending on whether we're importing or exporting. So yes, demand inflation is not an issue in South Africa, and we all know that. But it's very good news that the inflation did two things. Number one is it's more or less, more or less in the Reserve Bank's midpoint range, which means we will probably not have another rate increase, which is what we've been discussing for a long time. Yes. The second good point is, is it came in below expectations. I, I don't think by much, by 0.2 or 0.3%, but it nevertheless came in below expectations, and that's a good sign. The negative sign is the month-on-month increase is quite high. I think that was 0.9%, the month-on-month increase. Mm. And for the previous two or three months, it's been 0.2 or 0.3, you know, a lot lower than that. Now, I know that 0.9 was purely administered prices. School fees, I think, was one of them. But I, I can't quite remember. But whatever the big increases were month on month are these administered prices that the SA statistics, you know, they go and you can't go to the shop and find these prices. They've got to poll these prices or investigate these prices. But it's an administered price. So it was medical aid or what was it? But it was an administered price. It was not a, de- a price determined by demand and supply. No, no, it wasn't. And just to go back to one thing you said about the post office, for example, with your letter, which was sent in May, with the deadline of June the 5th to June the 2nd to, to reply to it. I sent a friend who'd had a new baby. I sent, I don't know, like a romper suit or, or something. Anyway, some mm. sort of piece of child's clothing. Baby thing. Yeah, baby thing. Mm. Exactly right. Best way to put it. I sent it in the post, in the Dutch post. I put it in a little package. And it was slightly bulkier than the letter, obviously. And I sent yeah. it. And it was tracked by the Dutch authorities or the Dutch post office. Yes. And once it left the Netherlands, and it was very efficient. It said it's gone from here to here to here. And then after that, Nothing again. It was nothing. It was like that submarine that went down to look at the Titanic. You never heard from it again. Yeah, it just disappeared. Yeah. Just completely disappeared, and someone stole Which it. Which is obviously. unusual. Yeah. <laughs> but you can claim insurance on it. I mean, I just just slight as a, a slight aside comment, but on the same subject. Mm. I order a lot of spares from my cars from the UK. Yes. And you order the whole thing online. Click, 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 and you pay. So if I, well, I can tell you an exact example. I ordered spares last week. I clicked on the computer on Monday afternoon. Wednesday morning, 11 o'clock, they were here from the UK. There we are. So that tells you that the the distribution logistics services, non-government in SA are hugely efficient because it left okay look the lot in the uk are, are efficient as well they posted that day it gets to Heathrow that night it's on the airplane overnight it's in south africa it's through customs and it's at your door what is that something in, like ups you know, it spends, or dhl it spends, or what that's you it's your yeah, this is all this is all dhl mm-hmm. but it, it gets it gets i mean it, it spends just over 24 hours from when the plane lands till it gets to your door mm. i mean that's hugely efficient 
I mean, I think if I had to order something from the south of Joburg via a courier service, it'll take a day to get to me or a day and a half. But from the UK, it takes three days and it's here, two and a half days and it's here. It's hugely efficient. But that's, be, that's, that's not talking economic stuff. So it shows you in South Africa, many, many things work hugely efficiently as long as the government's not involved. Well, exactly, and as long as a South African company is not involved, because DHL is a German-owned company, yeah, but and UPS is American. Mm. Yeah, but it's run by South Africans. Now, just, I mean, if you're talking about this, FedEx, also from the UK, exactly the same thing, motor car spares. I ordered something two weeks ago, no, longer than that, two months ago, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. So eventually I get the tracking number from the supplier. I go through, and I get hold of FedEx, and they come back to me and say, I've got to buy, I've got to get an ITAC code. So I said, what's an ITAC code? I've already got an importer's code. Good question. So they said an ITAC code. So I thought, what the hell are you talking about? So I go and look at it. It's like importing radioactive hazardous material. I'm buying motor car space. <laughs> so I go and find out someone put the wrong code on it. It was it's a, it's a thing made out of aluminium. There's no irradiated plutonium there. FedEx, I sent him the actual invoice where it showed it's a little aluminium pipe, man. It's a little fitting. It's a pipe. And they said, nah, this is no, you're not going to fly. You're trying to import depleted uranium, yeah? Plutonium, whatever. <laughs> you've got to get an ITAC code. I, I eventually sorted it out. So it just shows you mistakes and inefficiencies are global. Yes, they are. Uh, just wait, before we get onto the markets, which is the main purpose of this podcast. Yes, which we should be talking about. Yes, that. we should do. But I have to ask this question now no, because it, it's, it's in my head and it's bugging me. You've got all mm. these beautiful cars, vintage motor cars, which is, I suppose, in some ways, like your partner's obsession is rugby, your obsession is vintage motor cars, which you fix up. But you seem to have been fixing them up for a long time and importing tons of spare parts. When do you look yes. at a car and say, you get disappointed when you say, well, it's perfect now, or do you just go and tinker again no, and say, I can make finished. it more perfect? Why are you never. importing all this Old stuff? classic cars Old classic cars are never finished. There's always something else to do on them and something else to fiddle with the yeah, and fiddle with them. But do you drive the them and they make a clunking so noise? Do you drive no, no, the no, things? No, 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 no. When, when they're done, but you know, there's this little paint scratch there or this little thing. So you can work on a car literally if you want. If you want perfection, you'll never actually, there'll never be an end. But okay. I, I, I'm, I'm not a perfectionist. I'm not a perfectionist. I'm a 90% guy. To me, if it's 90% okay, that's acceptable to me because 90 that extra 10% takes you twice as long as the 90% to achieve it in time-wise. And the one thing I'm desperately short of is time. Now, I often say, you know, and it's a bit of a pun on a well-known statement, you know, too many cars, not enough time. All right. Well, when and one day you'll. So have... the reason why I spend so much time on mm. cars is that more cars come in than what go out. I buy more than what I sell. You're a hoarder. Or I buy more than what I complete. Yeah, exactly. You just you want to sit there. You want to wake up one morning and there's a rugby match on, which you probably don't want to watch. You go down to your facility. No, I always watch. Always watch the rugby. Oh, that's a loyalty for you. Always. Also, quite enjoy rugby. Okay. But I've also I also often say to the world's biggest rugby fan mm. that isn't she lucky? One day when I die, 
she's going to inherit all of this. Isn't she lucky? You know what she's going to do, she's don't you? She's going to inherit spares by the ton. I, I reckon, oh, I don't know. Man. And, and this is a very rough estimate. Go on. I reckon I've probably got about 40 tons of spares. When you're disturbing me greatly now, because I don't understand spares. And that's I not cars. That's just I don't spares. like cars. Yeah, I understand. No, no honestly, it's, it's too much for me to absorb. Let's look at the markets now. Uh, Cecil came yes. out there with an update or results today. And, yeah. you know, is that part of your commodity portfolio when you look at Cecil? Uh, oil and gas yes. are both commodities. Uh, do you, do you, and chemicals, yes. of course. Do you have a look at those things? Yes, we do definitely. And, and I mean, Sasol, even though obviously, as you said, is a chemical company as well as oil company, mm-hmm. but basically it's all part of the same pot. You know, chemical prices follow commodity prices because they're all ultimately determined by demand. So you think world demand you know, is it, global it, growth. Exactly. Yeah. And one of the things I'm looking at now is the oil price down from 88 down to just over $82.5 per barrel. Yeah. And I think to myself, this Despite the fact that the International Energy Agency about two weeks ago said that world oil demand is at an all-time record high, I see the oil prices coming down. That's obviously got to do with supply as well. But I think to myself, perhaps that is a sort of precursor for a slight recession worldwide. That's why people are selling. It could easily be. Mm. Yeah. Look, I mean, oil, oil's been hanging yeah, in the 70 dollars actually for quite a long time. You know, if you take it post the COVID, it's been sitting here. Shoo, how long now? Just looking at the graph here. Since yeah. the start of the year. Right. It's been so sitting here at the 70s, 80s since the start of the year. Seven, eight now, oil the same as any yeah. Oil the same as any other commodity, but with a slight difference, a slight small variance. Um, even more so than normal commodities, there's been absolutely no capital expenditure going into finding new oil fields because no one wants to commit the capex because they know in 10 years time 20 years time the demand for oil is going to be significantly less than what it is now because of the move to electric now the move to electric is barely felt at the moment in oil demand because they are actually in the bigger scheme of things, very, very few electric vehicles around. But that will not be the case in 10 or 20 years' time. And, of course, if you want to put in many billions of dollars into a new oil field somewhere, you've got to have a 40-year time horizon, a 50-year time horizon before you commit that amount of capex. So before, from let's just say the next five years, for want of a better figure, maybe 10 years, when the electric vehicles aren't that big in the total pool, in the total vehicle pool, and there is still demand for oil, no, there's no new supply coming on stream. Now, what's interesting about oil and vehicles, just rough, these are very rough figures, right. is about 1.3 billion internal combustion engines around in the world. There's 100 million new cars, and, and the overwhelming majority of that's motor cars. There's 100 million new cars sold each year, of which at the moment, and I might be wrong here, but I think it's 10 or 15 million is electric. It might even be less, but it, uh, just, it doesn't matter. It's tiny. So in other words, 
In other words, even in five years' time, when 100% of new cars are all electric, it's still going to take another 13 years before it replaces the existing vehicles on the road. You know, so we're still going to use oil for, you know, quite a sustained time period. Let's say one decade, two decades, 20 years, 15 years. We're still going to use oil and need oil. But there's been no new investment. Now, oil, um, there's about, the demanded supply is about 100 million barrels a day. But every year, about three or four million barrels dries up because that oil field is finished and demand goes up by about one million barrels a year. Now, that demand going up will start to disappear as the EVs take over, but there's still the three or four million barrels per year fall off because the, the wells are depleted and there's no more oil there. So, in other words, the point of this very long story is oil price could spike quite considerably over the next five, six, seven, eight years. Eh? We could quite easily see 150 140 $150 a barrel because the demand is still there, and it cannot, you cannot replace that demand. You cannot move to electric, no matter what the price does that quickly. Never mind electric vehicles. What, what about oil-fired power stations? I mean, and, and coal-fired? No, they're almost dead. No, they're almost dead. Oil-fired power stations worldwide are almost dead. Despite the yeah, fact that the, Eskom has to import we diesel in order we to... coal-fired. Yeah, but Eskom yeah, has to we, import we diesel... diesel because the other stuff doesn't work properly. If the other stuff worked properly, okay, it's interesting on this open, these, these, these gas turbines. Eskom very cleverly in the 1970s said the following. <clears throat> We're short of capacity. We'll build baseload power stations. But every night when people come home, demand goes up by 10%. So what we're going to do on that 10% is we're not going to build a big power station with massive capex but low running costs. We're going to buy these turbines with very low capital expenditure but big running costs because we're only going to run them two hours a day. So money-wise, on the on discounted cash flow, it was a very clever decision. The problem is, is that when we're in load shedding, you're running those things 24 hours a day. So it is horrendously expensive to run those open open cycles. So that's why we're using diesel is because the other stuff's not working. Worldwide, the oil the oil powered or the diesel powered electric generators died in the 70s in the oil crisis in 73. That was actually their death now. And people went to coal because it actually is more efficient or nuclear or went into war more into more water. Now of course they've gone into into wind and solar power. Because a country like Germany, I mean you live in the you live there, you can you, you live close by. I do. You go anywhere, you just see propellers. Oh yeah. Every day. You 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 go anywhere, you just see propellers. It's actually quite a bit of an eyesore in my personal view. I like them. You look at the lovely coastline you just see propellers. I think they're beautiful, so I don't know whether it, but that's, uh, our aesthetics yeah. are different, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So I would think that Germany, I don't know, 40%, 50% of their power generation is uh, renewables. <clears throat> Probably another 30 40% of it is nuclear. But I know Germany still uses quite a bit of coal in their power stations, and you know why? It's because they've got coal. 
it's one of the only natural resources that Germany has a surplus of. I mean, they got no oil, they got no steel, but they got coal. That's why in the Second World War they invaded Normandy and uh, 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 Denmark and Norway to make sure they could still get their iron ore from Sweden because they didn't have any iron ore. Mm. And that's why they developed the technology of turning coal into fuel, which is essentially what Sassel does here. It's the same technology that Sassel uses here because all they had was coal. It was the only real natural resource in abundance in Germany. It was a very interesting. I watched the program on TV. The biggest moving machine in the world are those coal, those machines in Germany that strip the overburden above the coal seam. It just stripped the, the, the soil off the actual seam of coal. I mean, they are the most astonishingly huge machines. Like open cast mine, you mean? Mine. Yeah, strip mining, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, that's enough about Germany's energy history. Let's talk about the markets now. We're in the doldrums, Wayne. I think we've spoken about that word, the doldrums, before, which is a sailing term, you yes. know, where you've got no wind yes, and no you, wind. you just drift, drift around. It's, it's not quite the same, but I, I find the markets have, have been drifting. They've been drifting lower, yes. and now they're doing absolutely nothing. So they're in the doldrums. Yeah. And it'll only come back, I think, once the Northern Hemisphere comes off the beach. No, not really. It'll come back when the world realizes inflation is falling and interest rates are falling. That's when it'll come back. That's when, the, And the market will preempt that. And I actually think it might even be starting now that the markets, the SA inflation, the US inflation, all of these things are, are turning over quite nicely. So we had as... Was it in May or June that we had the fantastic equity month? Yes. Where it was 5 or 6%. I'll, I'll look it up now. I just can't remember whether it was May or June. Yeah, it was a pre-holiday a fantastic rally. month. Yeah. Yeah, we had a fantastic month. And it is essentially given that all back. Uh, let's just see what, where it was here. Well, the yeah, all, it, it, all shares at 74,000, let's call it, and I think it got close to 80,000. Yeah, it was July. July, sorry, July, we had, we had a stonker. It went up to, call it 79,000. Yes. And it's given that all back now. But interesting, it's actually done that for quite a while now. The market's traded quite consistently since January, since January between 73,000 and 80,000. It's actually done it once, twice, three, four times now. So it's sitting, because it, same as worldwide. You're waiting for this clear direction on interest rates. If they're going down, the market will rally. So, I mean, it's a pure guesswork on my side, but it's now as low as it's been during all of those uh, cycles. So I, I think we might even have a bit of upside now. And certainly as time elapses, the closer we're getting to the first interest rate. Yeah, I think the market has bottomed. It's not going to spike, but it's bottomed. And I do believe it'll yeah. start to build a base from which to rally. It's good. Okay, Wayne, your partner, the world's biggest rugby fan, must be looking forward to the World Cup, which is in 17 days' time, from what I understand. Yes, terribly exciting. She must be very excited, yes. She'll be, she'll be unplayable. No, no, it's she, terribly exciting. And in fact, Friday night, we got the... Friday night's a big game as well. We're playing New Zealand. Oh, yeah. It's a warm-up game, but... They thrashed us properly last time. So, so you know, either either we must play a B team again so we preserve our A team players for the actual World Cup, or if we play an A team and we get thrashed, that's not a good omen for the World Cup. Eh? Although we have gone up to number three rating because we beat um, uh, 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 Wales, 
So over we have, the weekend, yeah. Three, so, 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 yeah. So it's Ireland, New Zealand, South Africa. Yeah, and England are trailing in sixth or something like that. So that's why I'm not going to be watching the Rugby World Cup this year because it's too embarrassing. England will get walloped by Ireland, France, Wales, South Africa, New yeah, Zealand, but you can support Australia. South Africa, though. You no. can support South Africa. I don't Look, see why everyone I should. hopes we're going to win it again, but it would be unusual to win two years in a row. I think only New Zealand have done that and have only done it once. Yeah, we'll see. If I had to put a bet on that, it would be on South Africa because they pull it out in, out yeah, it's a, in the, on the big occasions. Mm. Yeah, no, no, the world's, the world's biggest rugby fan is excited, excited like you cannot believe, <laughs> although we've just picked up a new puppy. Uh, old ah, dog, that didn't take long, died. did it? Your old one died. The black, no, no, no. the black Labrador. Yes, the black one died, and now we got a we got a brown Labrador. Now. How lovely, Sweet little boy. Ah, what what no, did no, you no, call him? Lindsay said, "No, we haven't called it Lindsay now. No, ah. no. it's called Nuru, Nuru, which is light in Swahili, I think. Nuru, that's a nice I, name. I'm not in charge of names. It's a very nice name. <laughs> Clearly, so not. anyway, so the world's biggest rugby fan. Yes, we had two cats and a dog, and the one cat died, and the other cat died, and the dog died. And the world's biggest rugby fan said, "That's enough animals now." That lasted For two week. weeks. One week. <laughs> So yeah. it's keeping both of us busy there. I'm sure it is. Wayne, let's stop very talking about busy. puppies and cars yep. and rugby and things like that. And let's talk about food just very briefly. I haven't got any food stories yep. for you, but I, I remember I happened to look at myself in the mirror sideways the other day, which is a dangerous thing at our age. Yeah, I never do it. I try my best never to do that. Yeah, well, I do too, but it, I don't know. Something just happened and I glanced to my right and there was the mirror and there was me. And I thought about you and that yeah. you said you've got a pole in your office or something, which is close yes. to the wall, and you can't squeeze Correct. between the pole and the wall. And I thought, yeah. if I was in Wayne's office, I probably wouldn't be able to either. So I've given up carbohydrates. So that means no spuds, potatoes, no rice, no pasta, no bags of crisps or anything like that while I'm watching my beloved football, world's biggest football fan. And mm. and I thought of you. But that's my only food story I've got. So no, look, we have we have we have we have a test on the first working day of the new year. So oh. normally, I don't know, the 7th of January, whatever it is, mm -hmm. and everyone has got to pass between that wall and the post. And? It's, it's like a supporting beam. I made it this year. Well, I've made you? it every year. Yeah, I've made it. My friend who works with me, he's never been able to get through <laughs> between the post and, and the wall. And, but he said he's got such a big chest. That's his excuse. Oh, the, oh, the old chest excuse. He says his yeah. chest is too big. I said, your chest has sunk a little bit over the years. But yes, that's, that's always what he says. But I'll tell you one nice food story. Go on then. Uh, last night mm -hmm. from Woolworths, we bought their butter chicken pre-cooked that you put in the oven and heat it up. And you serve it with a little bit of rice. And we had some some non bread as well, garlic non bread, that we also bought from Woolworths, and it was delicious. Butter chicken and, and non bread. Hasn't, yeah, mm. yeah but Woolworths hasn't quite redeemed themselves for taking the salt and pepper calamari mm. off the shelves, but they went a little way at least in redeeming themselves because it, it truly was delicious. It was a very subtle flavour. wasn't hot at all. But I suppose butter chicken never really is too hot. No. That was very subtle, but rich and creamy flavors. It actually was very, very nice.
Good, I'm glad. You've made me hungry again, as you always do on a Wednesday afternoon. Wayne, <laughs> thank you very much for your time. Wayne McCurry is a portfolio manager at F&B Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg. And that was Wayne on Wednesday. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.